This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 8.36 a.m. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Keith Kam. In half an hour, we have the opening bell where we check out how Bursa Malaysia begins the trading day. But before that, let's talk about subsidy reform. The Madani government has long signaled that it intends to remove the universal petrol subsidy, which is expected to be rolled out in the second half of this year. The price of RON95 petrol has been capped at 2 ringgit 5 cents since 2021, which makes up a big chunk of the ballooning total subsidy bill exceeding 81 billion ringgit last year. And the present blanket subsidy for fuel has been described as unsustainable and unfair given that the top 20% of income earners receive 53% of subsidies. Subsidy rationalisation is also a crucial component to reducing the fiscal deficit to 3.5% by 2025 under the Madani economy framework. However, the removal of blanket subsidies will result in lower income households being impacted by the higher cost of living. So how can rationalisation be carried out while cushioning the blow for the most vulnerable groups? For some recommendations on how this could be implemented, we have on the line with us Dr. Amjad Rabi, visiting expert at the Social Wellbeing Research Centre of University Malaya. He issued a strategic note this month on subsidy reform and cautioning welfare loss, which we're discussing today. Amjad, good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. Can we start with a quick reminder on why the removal of universal fuel subsidies is necessary for the betterment of the economy, despite uh, the undoubtedly uh, resulting short-term pain in the form of inflationary pressure. Good morning to you, Sana, and to your listeners, and thank you very much uh, for uh, having me. Uh, indeed, I mean, uh, you just highlighted like some of the pressing issues related to the uh, subsidy, in general, the price subsidy that Malaysia uh, has historically uh, provided to the public, as you uh, noted, it's uh, it amounted more than 80 billion, 81 billion ringgit last year. Just to put it in context, I mean, this is equivalent to the combined spending on education and health altogether in Malaysia for the same year. And this is obviously not the way that Malaysia, in the second push of development, Malaysia is uh, uh, aspiring to become a developed nation. You need to invest in education, in health, in human capital. So money is spent on gasoline and, you know, other subsidies taken away from other uh, important uh, social spending that will ensure that Malaysia will have the momentum Mm. to carry on and become a developed nation. But also, uh, we need to look also at two other uh, issues related to the fuel subsidy and why it's urgent to uh, uh, reform it. Uh, One is the social element to it. As you also highlighted, it benefits the rich more than the poor. So it's a regressive form of uh, spending. Uh, as you noted, uh, like all in, on average, household uh, in the top 20, uh, 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 top 20 fa- uh, uh, category, they re- receive on average, it was estimated by one study, about 196 ringgit, whereas a bottom 40 household would receive 119 ringgit uh, on average. So obviously, it's favoring the rich more than the poor. But also, in addition to the social element to it or the equity element to it, there is also economic function, a very important Malaysia is uh, is a country that uh, prides itself to be uh, uh, built on the free market uh, principles, where the private sector has a role and uh, uh, to de- uh, to develop. And uh, 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 the underpinning of of this uh, um, developmental path that Malaysia has taken is not a central planner who allocate resources from one uh, fr- from one sector to another, but rather the price mechanism. Right. So the price gives signals. 
where where resources should be allocated and to which sector. If you alter it, you make relative prices uh, um, artificially different than mm. the price mechanism itself. That you will dare the country to be left behind and go in direction that is not in line with other uh, developmentally globally, especially the green energy. Amjad, you're, you're advocating for cash transfers based on the life cycle approach rather than income levels to alleviate the impact to social welfare uh, for this rationalization. Can you help us understand why you think so? Uh, just to, 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 to say that in theory, it's if we know the information about income of every individual, and we can pinpoint the need of exactly what they need for each individual to uh, to uh, to escape poverty. That's the best allocation of resources. But we don't. Mm. Nobody knows the income of the household bottom 40. And bottom 40 in Malaysia is somehow it's I, I lived in at least 15 countries working this area. I've never seen a country where bottom 40 uh, is a language used in the street. Usually this statistical term that statisticians uh, use. But why I'm saying this, because this is not a fixed group of individuals. They fluctuate. Mm. Today, I'm bottom 40. Tomorrow, I'm, I'm my T20. So it fluctuates, moves, depending on employment, unemployment, uh, raise, and other uh, issues. We don't have information. If we have information about income, that will be fine. We don't. It's unfortunate. Even advanced economies, they don't. Uh, the, as we can see, one of the biggest scandal in the in the U.S. was the allocation of uh, 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 or the social assistance that provided during COVID nineteen. It's simply again because of lack of information. Mm-hmm. When you don't have lack of information, you go for what causes poverty instead of who is poor, which we don't know, and people might lie, as we've seen in Malaysia in uh, connection to BRIM when we collected data. So instead of going that route, we uh, try to look what are the underlying causes for poverty. And that's what takes us to uh, pressure or vulnerability. Instead of poverty, we use vulnerability like uh, the stages in life that we are more vulnerable. And the statistics from DOSOM is clear. Households with children are at higher risk of, uh, of poverty. Mm. And if we have inflationary pressure due to removal of subsidies, it will hit households with children most. Okay. Right? It's it's obvious because they consume more. Similarly with senior citizens as well. So I'm advocating for those two groups, especially they don't work. So there is no disincentive for them to work. So it's good to, to use this approach as a pragmatic approach. Okay, but then some would argue, right, that this will ignore large groups of Malaysian society that are going to be impacted by subsidy rationalisation. There will be some households where there are no children, but unfortunately are vulnerable. And maybe some elderly who are actually pretty well off and don't need the subsidy rationalisation at the same time. We can take it one by one because it's very, very important question, the question you're raising. I mean, remember that the whole idea of reforming that you're removing a blanket subsidy that gives everyone to try to rationalize it. So that's the whole argument. Secondly, it's uh, again, we really need to be careful since we are reforming, we need to reform it better. Now, I will argue for, I'm not saying not to give to the ones in the working age population. The working age population, if they have children, they will receive. If And we've seen that three generational uh, households, including the parents live in the same household, are the most vulnerable. So they will receive. However, also, for the households without children, without senior citizens, I argued actually in another note for uh, giving them, but again, not cash. Cash is not good for somebody in the working age. Skilling. Mm-hmm. If I am me and let's say my, me and my wife, we, uh, we if we were not having children, both of us, and we not receive we, our income is low. That is a reflection of a couple of scenarios. One scenario is 
which is very likely that the wife is not working and we've seen evidence in Malaysia. Now, if you give, let's say, 500 ringgit, now the wife gets a job for minimum uh, wage, let's say 1500. She will not say, I will, should I work for 1500? The question is, I will lose 500. Mm-hmm. So I better off stay and not work. So that's again, you give disincentive to work mm-hmm. for the working age population. Another scenario, it might be the uh, the guy can, could work or the lady could work extra two hours, right? They're working eight hours. They could put extra two hours to work. Then the question comes to them, if I work extra two hours, then I will become not entitled because my income increases. And if my income increases, then I will not be entitled for this benefit. So I would rather not put the extra hours that will make me lose the, uh, the amount. So mm-hmm. for these reasons, but also another reason, it's also, let's say they work hard and everything, but they're still not making enough uh, money. It means it's uh, the third scenario could be productivity issue, that they, their skill set they have is not matching what is needed in the modern economy. And that you don't solve it with money. You don't subsidize it. You don't mm-hmm. subsidize uh, you. What you do is you provide them skilling, job matching, upskilling and that's that's what the, the essence of it so the working age population given the issue related to this incentive to work it's better to uh, avoid the cash since we are doing the reform focus the cash on senior citizens and children they are not supposed to work at the same time the ones in the working age population skilling reskilling job matching and uh, policy active market labor market intervention mm. uh, just if i make quickly on the, the second question related what if a senior citizen is uh, well off and this is i want to go back to now str str uh, uh, last uh, year they provided benefits to 7.1 million i mean if you multiply by average household four so it will be about 28 million uh, you know uh, individual if you take it around less or more so that constitute bottom 40 and middle 40. Now, my argument here, if you want to give bottom 40 and middle 40, which is, I think, the right way to do, and you want it to exclude the top 20, instead of targeting who is bottom 40 and middle 40, ask them many questions, and they will lie, and they, you don't have enough information, it's easier administratively to remove the top 20 mm. or the top 10. We decide, and we don't use income, it's better to use wealth, wealth index. So I'm not saying to give to the very, very rich, but rather if, if that's what is needed, instead of wasting resources, asking so many questions, are you poor, not poor, do you have this, that? We have the information about the top 20%. They have uh, properties, so you can create an index. Anyone has more than three properties, for, 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 for example, uh, will not benefit. Okay. So then it's it becomes much administratively easier. Just wanted to, to highlight that I'm coming from pragmatic point of view, learning what happened with the BRIM, which was the same intention of during the fuel reform. We need to learn. We need right. to learn and from other countries. Amjad, we have about 30 seconds on the clock. I'm just curious how receptive have policymakers been to this proposal? Are they actually considering incorporating this as they look to uh, rationalize subsidies later in the year? I made my case, and I hope uh, I hope they talk not uh, again. Like you know, in politically or political situation as in Malaysia, there are many factors. So I highlighted, you know, or even the political return for these benefits from many countries. So it's, it's a decision by the government, but I'm very much encouraged by the current government that actually they uh, decided to take into uh, on this one. This mm. is very important that they recognize the shortcoming of it and. 
Uh, hopefully they will take uh, the recommendations I presented to all uh, high-level officials in the government. And, you know, it's a decision states, and we are here in the Social Wellbeing Research Center to provide any evidence needed from many other countries that we collected. Amjad, thank you so much for speaking with us. That was Dr. Amjad Rabi, visiting expert at the Social Wellbeing Research Center of University Malaya, breaking down for us uh, some of the proposals uh, to help uh, alleviate the uh, burdens or risks that come with subsidy rationing. Uh, it is 8.49 in the morning. We're going to head into some messages, but we'll come back uh, to discuss whether the recent China Chinese New Year consumption data translate into a better economic outlook. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.